Not anymore. Yes, I was a broken woman. Yes, I didn't love me. Yes, I decided to settle for what wasn't best for me. Yes, I was in a toxic relationship. Guess what? Not anymore. I have grown from the broken pieces. I have learned to love me when no one else loved me. I have learned that I will never settle for in my life or my peaceful atmosphere. I have learned the difference between love, lust of a good relationship. Yes, I wasn't perfect, but I learned to work on my mind, my body, and my soul connections. Yes, I have allowed the wrong spiritual around me. Now, I've learned about the not allowing the negative energy around me. Yes, I've been down the road of destruction. Now I've learned how to not move by emotion, but by the spirit of my faith and purpose. Not anymore, my fears will not keep me from being a better version of me. Not anymore, my toxicness will stop me from loving myself or trusting others in my peaceful place. Not anymore, my lack of post-trauma is going to stop me from my future growth. Yes, not anymore. I know I'm powerful. I know I'm overcoming. I know I'm a positive, I know I'm loved, and yes, not anymore, I'm dope, dedicated to other people, empowerment, I love my dopeness and so should you. Yes, I was a broken woman. Yes, I didn't love me. Yes, I decided to settle for what wasn't best for me. Yes, I was in a toxic relationship. Guess what? Not anymore. I have grown from the broken pieces. I have learned to love me when no one else loved me. I have learned that I will never settle for in my life or my peaceful atmosphere. I have learned. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Power in Your Voice podcast. And today, we have Mr. Campbell in the building. How are you doing today? I'm, look, look, I'm still rocking out to the intro. It's like, man, I'm hearing the words. I'm rocking. I'm ready to go, yo. It is an honor and absolute privilege. How are you doing today? I am awesome. I can't complain. You know, it's always great to be in the land of the living. <laughs> so can you introduce yourself to the people and tell them who you are to the people that don't know you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Tyler Campbell. Uh, I always tell people, man, I'm... At the end of the day, I'm a man that for God's own heart. Um, still, still uh, striving to give my best each and every day. But been traveling in the country as an inspirational speaker uh, for the last ten years of my life. You know, started when I was 24 years old. I guess 11 now, 35 years old now. Um, inspirational speaking and being um, a multiple sclerosis ambassador, right? As being a black male diagnosed with MS, uh, it became my message. And, and that ultimately put me on the pipeline from inspirational speaker to like you, you know, just being an author and a proud husband, proud husband and a proud father. So I think everybody can relate to those things. Absolutely. So tell me what got you on the thrive of, you know, of being an inspirational speaker? Like, how did we get here? Yeah, straight up. I think it's, you know, I think it's important. Like I started looking into it. Um, for me, it was a level of service, you know, being a black male, being diagnosed with MS. It, I quickly learned that I was an outlier. You know, I quickly was un ushered into understanding how to navigate the healthcare system and how crazy that can be. Um, I didn't have a shoulder to lean on. 
there were times when I wanted to cry out to somebody who understood what I was going through. I never found that. You know, like I knew Montel Williams at that time was somebody who was a talk show host. You know what I'm saying? Me and my grandma used to sit at her feet and she would say, Tyler, we're going to pray and we're going to watch Montel. And then uh, after that, we're going to pray really, really hard and watch Jerry Springer. You know what I'm saying? A child of the 80s growing up in the 90s. And so when I saw that his diagnosis was there when I was 21 years old and in college and diagnosed, that was the first time I saw a black male. But the only problem was I, I didn't know him. Like I, I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't reach out. In our family, everybody you know diabetes, you know, sickle cell, um, cancer, high blood pressure, cholesterol. Nobody knew what MS was. I was alone. And I was always taught, yo, you want to leave things better than the way you found them. So how dare could I be diagnosed with a disease? And knowing that there's another young black male who would be diagnosed after me somewhere in the world, and I know he would need a story to cling to. So why don't I give him mine with hopes that he can live with this disease a little bit better than I did? And I became the first person to play Division One college football, but with MS, you know, still got my degree. Um, but at the time, I'm not going to lie, like people think those accolades came because I was pushing, I was working hard. That came because I was scared. Mm. I was really terrified that, that my scholarships would be taken away from me. Um, I also knew that as a captain, I played ball with young men who were going to be first generation college students. And my father being like an NFL Hall of Famer and a Heisman Trophy winner, Earl Campbell, like good person in football. More importantly, I saw that him going to college, him being somebody who came from poverty, was raised in a single parent home, had 10 other brothers and sisters. He went to college. And as a result, cousins, that next generation, we grew up like talking about college. And some of us went on to become doctors. Some of us went on to become nurses because he started something. So now I really can't quit because I've seen the effect of being a first generation college student and what it can do for your family. So I'm a captain. I'm squeezed like I can't quit. I can't let my other brothers who were sitting on this opportunity to, to be a first generation college student graduate. I can't not quit. Because if I quit as a leader, then it's going to make it for them to quit as, a, as, as, as fellow teammates. And so um, it was literally at that time in my 20s, like I just seen the world through a different lens. And you know what that's like as a poet. Like um, I just started to see things differently. I started to see value, started to see relationships, started to just see people and, and how maybe I could use my flaws um, my sufferings of silence as a means to just help other people learn to not make the same mistake with my disease. And just by being truthful, that kind of, that kind of helped navigate things. Now, you know, being diagnosed with MS and, you know, how, how did you see your life flash in front of your face when you first found out? Cause you know, sometimes when you, you know, you're healthy at the beginning and then when that hits home, it's like a whole pound of bricks hit you. Bro, it's not, and it don't help when you're not prepared and then people start speaking claims over your life right. um, that don't necessarily know you or uh, they've heard this about this. So, you know, people start to dictate what your future is going to be right. without, without knowing you. And I think that was kind of like the hard thing 
as an athlete, I kicked it into high gear as a coping mechanism, largely because of what I had seen on the internet. It didn't look good, which was unfortunate because being young, I went to the internet for my disease, which is the wrong thing to do because you hear all types of horror stories, but that became my truth because I'm, I'm a young kid. Mm-hmm. So I saw nothing but horror stories. I didn't see people who looked like me and, and, and then being told that, uh, with your erectile dysfunction issues that I'm now entering as a young male, where at that time I didn't, I thought that was my manhood. I didn't know myself enough to understand that like my manhood falls far, far superseded what was below the belt. And so a lot of gut wrenching emotions coming over me. But the main thing that I always remember was people disqualifying my qualifications and, and how I felt with that. And so all of these things are going on. But the unfortunate part is like Tyler's doing so much battle outwardly that that Tyler neglected to take care of a lot of things that he was feeling inwardly. And I think those things ended up harming me, especially as I progressed in age. Um, and, and some of those wounds were left unhealed. And my blood kept spilling over so many people. And that's the private stuff that I was forced to start dealing with over time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, during this journey, because a lot of times we tend to learn things as we process, as we go. What do you think you learned about yourself from this process of where you are now? I learned, I learned, I learned number one that that little boy inside of me, um, there are a lot of things I experienced like at the age of 12. Um, and there was a little boy inside of me who was screaming, screaming to get out that I always kept hidden and concealed. Um, and so when I got diagnosed, when I started going through these things where the world started changing, my body started changing, um, there was that moment in my life where I started to understand that I had to start letting 12 year old Tyler finally, like finally breathe. And by that, I mean, like putting on this, getting put on the trajectory of speaking and and telling your story. What I recognized was that 12 year old boy who discovered J.R. Tolkien books, that that 12 year old boy who loved C.S. Lewis, that 12 year old boy who loved like comic books. That's the person who I was supposed to set free a long time ago in my life. And and if I was able to do that, I would have always been somebody who stood on my words, somebody who probably would have been speaking a long time ago. But because I didn't know how to acknowledge that 12 year old boy growing up in an athletic world, in a world of expectation, um, it set me back. So I think the greatest thing that I learned was I had to go back and set somebody free inside of me who had been screaming to get out for so many years that I shunned. And it was hard, that process of looking yourself in the doggone mirror and seeing like, you got a disease. Yep. It's hard over here. Yep. But what work have you done on yourself? There's a person inside of you that you keep hidden and shielded that you don't let people see. And that's on you. And as a father and as a husband, bro, that that brought me to tears. And oh, by the way. I had to go back and learn how to cry as an adult, as a black man. I had to learn 
how to cry and to know that it's okay to do so. Because remember, I'm thinking manhood. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm already not a man and I'm certainly not about to cry now because I'm dealing with erectile dysfunction, all these other things. So I had to slow down, flip it and reverse it, Missy Elliott. And I had to go back and just I had to start as basic as letting 12 year old Tyler breathe and also let 35 year old Tyler know how to cry. And um, that's hard staring yourself in the mirror for them things. That was tough. That is, it's, it's definitely a tough situation. A lot of times the biggest thing is people can't look themselves in the mirror, especially yeah. going through life. And the first thing is, like you said, you have to look yourself in the mirror in that process. You have to forgive yourself too. Yeah, man. But not yeah, letting man. them out. And, and, and say that. And, and as a woman who's been through so much in your own life, like, bro, I know, like, I know I can rock with you because I, I know you empathize, not sympathize. There, you know, there's a difference. But I know you you know what it's like to put yourself in other people's shoes because of what you have gone through. And that's why I feel so comfortable talking to you, because I know I know you've been through and I know you're still going through. You know what I'm saying? But yet you're still here. Yet you're still writing books and letting you, do, you know, all of those things that you are doing in your life. Like that's that's what people need to hear. That's what I needed to hear. And that's all I want people to see. Like I bleed just like you bleed. I hurt just like you hurt. I cry just like you cry. Um, I've shielded myself just like you have, um, but I'm also willing enough to stare myself in the face, give myself grace, which we don't like to give ourselves. Yo, give yourself some grace sometimes. And and I learned that as I totally set myself free, yo, my speaking became better. My work ethic became better because I think I was sitting on some stuff that had been holding me back for years from adolescence. Like I could like you keep on hitting walls. And we think it's life, but but life don't brought, knock down the wall until we like deal with some stuff so we can walk into a blessing and we can receive it. But if we got so much baggage coming through, bro, we can, I couldn't see the blessing. I couldn't. Not, for, it clouds the judgment. For years. For years, I, I, I kind of messed up the flow of what the man up above was trying to do because I didn't want to look and work on me, you know. Yeah. Now, what, what advice to any future? I, I, it's a two-part question. Okay, go ahead. What advice, what advice do you have for any future athletes that are going into, you know, school and, you know, mm -hmm. trying to get into the leagues and, you know, because, you know, they, they got to remain focused, but they're dealing with life at the same time. Right. And and and, and real talk, man, like in, in my locker room, like I was blessed, bro. I came from a two-parent home. You know what I'm saying? I came from, grew up in the suburbs, you know, and I, I know what it's like to be in that locker room and you are hearing stories from other cats being like, they the one that the family is riding on. You know, that the meal ticket has been placed over their shoulders since they was in middle school. You know what I'm saying? You gotta make it. We need you to make it. Um, I'm not gonna kill nobody's dream what I tell athletes is, bro, I'm, if you make it to a university, that means that university has resources. That means that that university has the therapists, has the psychologists, has other people, because 
you don't know it, but you have seen traumatic stuff in your life. We all have. Even cats who come from the birth, there is stuff that we... And so the best way that you can free flow as an athlete, and we see it now because mental health is acceptable now, right? When I was going through, like, if you was dealing with some stuff upstairs, there was not room for anything like that. If you was dealing with trauma, there was not room to express that, especially as a man in a masculine sport. There wasn't room. But now since doors have been open and you are at an institution for you to say, hey, I need to clear my mind because I need to excel. Like, I want you to make it. So if you if you if your if your mission is to make it to the league, like I want you to get your education, do all those things. If your mission is to actually get there, the best thing that you can also do for yourself is free yourself up up top for some stuff that you haven't dealt with in the past that you didn't even know was traumatic. Like, and cats would tell me stories about them. I had a I had a roommate in junior college who told me, and he was in inner city New Orleans. I wrote it in my book. My man saw his cousin get gunned down right in front of him as he was crossing the street, coming out the corner store. Mm. And he didn't even recognize that that traumatic experience for him, like, it changed the way he spoke to people. Speaking from a place of anger and hurt because he hadn't dealt with that when he was nine. Mm. And, it's, and, and it's like... um. So you have a lot to clear. You, you haven't even allowed yourself to fully dive into your sport. You haven't allowed yourself to fully even dive into your academics to to see how how ex, extremely intelligent you are. Because like me having to deal with 12 year old stuff, man, you haven't dealt with that. So you haven't even given the education all that. So I tell people, use the university. You signed to go on that dotted line. You signed to get out there into that institution. You signed to do all of these things then you use that institution. You use the resources. Use the study hall. Go see the therapist. Go see the counselor. It's not costing you a dime. If getting to that next level is all about you or you trying to get your education and graduate across that stage, then doggone it, use the free resources that are available to you because it's there. They're using you. You use them. Use them. That, that, that is the key for them to use the, like you said, the resources. And mm -hmm. a lot of times... They see as, oh, like you said, mental health is being accepted now. A lot of times they used to be like, oh, no, you going to the therapist, something wrong with you. You know what I mean? And it's good for them to know that it's okay to go to therapy. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. There's some things you need to work on. And it takes work to get to the next level. It takes work to grow. So Straight absolutely. up. Straight up. Free, free yourself up to do what you need to do on the court, on, on the field. Like you, If you can clear your mind, bro, you can, you can approach practice in a way you never have because you got... You got some clarity over some burdens that you've been carrying since elementary school. You don't even know. That's and that's everybody. That's yeah, everybody. That is. that is baggage is a thing a lot of us take into all these relationships, Come relationships, on. everything. Like even to your work, to your job, and you know it, it. It it's it's crazy, and that's where I talk about masses because these are a lot of things that people carry that baggage that they hold on to and they don't want to let go because they still angry at something or they're still holding on to something or they're still frustrated but in order to have peace you got to let it go come on you got to work through you got to work through it to be over it man i was just in counseling uh yesterday on tuesdays man and in the focal point i got the notes right here um we still talking about for me forgiveness mm -hmm. and peace when somebody looks at me i they ever say when somebody look at you tyler do they see peace or chaos it's a constant work. It's a constant battle. And I want peace, just like you said. 
Right. Absolutely. Now, for the second part to the question is, being that you have MS, what advice can you give to somebody that's just getting diagnosed or going through the process? Like, I know for me, when I first got diagnosed with my things, my mind was scattered. I was depressed. I felt my thing was, well, what about my kids? Like, my mind was just everywhere. Then you, you know, it took me three years to get diagnosed. So I fought with <clears throat> the doctors and everything. So, like, how could you help someone that's, you know, looking on the inside in or is going through the process right now? Yeah, I think um, so. You know, number one, you know, I, I obviously be be careful of what you see on the Internet. And I mean, with with MS as a, as a black male, I like I said, I when I walk into the doctor's office and they telling me it's classified as a as a as a white woman's disease in 2007. I straight up told the doc, like, man, do you see this chocolatey goodness? Like, ma'am, this you got to tell me something different than that because that's not making me feel good at all because now I'm thinking, really, why me? Mm. If you're telling me that that's not what this is supposed to look like and I don't look nothing like that. I, um. So, number one, I panicked and I went to the internet and that, that's my biggest thing. I tell people, please don't do that. Um, What I should have done was I should have done and looked for some form of support group by an organization that was trustworthy through my own work. And the reason I say, uh, reason I say support group, being young, um, the demographic, like just walking into something you don't know, get around some people who have what you have if possible. And, and for me, I learned that there was support group. My biggest thing, I was in San Diego, California, and learning after I moved to Texas, I looked up through organizations of all the multiple sclerosis support groups that were available in my backyard in San Diego. That I, So help was around me, but I didn't know. I didn't know how to serve. I didn't even know that that was a possibility. Right. You didn't have when the I, information. To, to, and, 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 all, and sometimes that information that's not in a book. Right. Bro, like... Like for real, like I, I needed to see, I needed to see more. I needed, when I got back to Texas, that's when I saw married couples with MS. Mm. Mind you, I'm somebody who was told you, you're not going to be able to have children. You, you're going to battle erectile dysfunction. It's going to be hard for people to find, find a spouse, girlfriend, somebody who would be willing to put up with your baggage. We talk about baggage. Mm. But then I got in a support group. I saw people with baggage. I saw people who were in wheelchairs their spouse was pushing them into the i saw people laughing right you know i saw people sharing their story but also the way that other people with the disease that weren't doctors that weren't in the healthcare system that weren't pharmaceutical creators of, of medicine i just saw real people sharing they know what it feels like to be in your shoes number one they're empathizing they know what it feels like they're letting you share and then they're sharing with you things of how they've done that. The hiccups in the healthcare system that they had. This is, have you tried this? And it, and it came from people mm -hmm. without titles. Because when you have your title, me not knowing I have enough worth to be in the room, I hadn't got comfortable enough with my story yet to feel like I belonged at the table. So naturally, I'm looking at people with titles as you know more than I do. Right. So I, I, I already feel like I don't. And so now I'm in a support group where it's like people got they got my title. We in the same boat. And and that would be the other thing that I would tell people. 
is, is if you're able to, with your disease, to at least, you don't have to stay in that support group, but at least if you're new to it, to get around some people who have been walking with what you've been living with for some time. And the ability, you just, sometimes you got to see that, okay, I got, I can, I can do, they, they got this, then I can get this too. Like I, I can live with this too. It's not fun. It's not fair. It's going to, it's going to suck. But if somebody else can do it, I think I can do this. And I miss that part of the, you know what I'm saying? That part of the equation for me, it was, you know, faith and, and I, and, and doing a lot of praying and, and all that stuff. Yeah. My, my faith is important. But I also know that faith without works is dead. And it says that. So that meant I had to work to find some connections. I had to work to find a space. I had to work to find a place. I had to work to find people. Um, so you have to do some work too. So I ain't going to get twisted because people going to be like, oh, he ain't faithful. He got that. I got that. But I also know that I was challenged with the work to go seek. I had to go seek some things. I had to go seek some people um, that looked uh, like me with the disease. I, had to go I, find actually, them. I actually totally agree with that because I had to go find, you know, the support group because I was also told that, you know, my disease wasn't, you know, something I should have. Mind yeah. you, neither one of my parents nor my sisters or siblings have this disease. I'm like mm-hmm. the only one in my family that I know that has it. And it's like, you get that question, go, why me? You know, it's like, what's happening? Yeah. So I, I definitely get all that. And definitely my added to that is to be a big advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you feel you need a second opinion, go get it. If you feel that they're not saying something that makes sense, you know, go get, go find out other information. Do your research too. Because I know at one point my kidney doctor told me that I needed to lose weight. I'm going to die. All this other stuff. So Listen, be an advocate for yourself. Love it. Love it. Drop that gem on them. And nothing wrong with a second opinion. You have the right to. And that's why I say I didn't, with all the titles, I got, I let myself get real, real, real small and hang on to every, every, you know, every word. Your word is gold. Your word is. And so I didn't, I didn't give myself enough worth and advocate, like you said. But you know yep. it now. So that yeah. is a plus. And we're giving the gems to people that don't know it now. And we're helping them and we're Straight up. feeding them into the future where they need to be. Because, you know, like this, these conditions, we are not the conditions, the conditions we control. We don't let them control our lives. So that's something they also need to remember. Yes, Do remember that the condition is not you. You control it, not it controls you. Yeah. yeah. But you do have to listen to your body, though. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with that one. Now, off to this book here that we have going on. Now, tell me, how did I'm trying to follow in your footsteps, first off. I'm trying to follow. I'm picking up what you're putting down, for sure. How did we get to this book here? And now, what decided, what made you decide to become an author? You know, because we went from athlete to speaker to now author. I wanted to always write a book. I always wanted to. Like, I always wanted to. From being from being the kid who loved comic books, under the bed, eating honey buns, um, from reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, from reading all the Lord of the Rings series, is from being that adolescent young kid. I love books. I love literature. Predicate nominative, predicate adjective, subject, verb, agreements, direct objects, indirect objects. I love words and structure, right? And so I always wanted one, but the problem was, 
uh, even when I got into my 20s, I would get paper and I couldn't write nothing. Like I get to the computer and I couldn't write nothing. Like I could get up and speak and do messaging, but like putting down my story, I couldn't do it. And what the pandemic taught me was that was when I started really going through therapy in the beginning of it, like really working on myself. Cause that's when I got fed up and had to really set myself free and really doing that. And in completing therapy, that's how I was able to write fluidly. I had set my heart free. No more performative love. Like being okay with totally authentically me. And walking through scenarios of where I had to apologize to people, ask for forgiveness, demand um, that people know that when you said these things to me or did those things to me, you may not remember, but bro, they changed me. Like it hurt me. Like having to have those conversations um, was harder than a physical battle. The emotional battle is, is really, really hard to go through to set your heart free. But as I started doing that, those those words came and I I wrote my book so that if I died, my children would have my words to live by. I'm married with three kids, you know. Um I wanted to leave them a book so that if they saw pictures of their father, they don't have to worry about what their father was thinking. They don't have to, like, you know how people pass away, we're like, man, I wonder what they thought in that moment. Like, I got their pictures, I got grandma pictures, but I wonder what she was thinking. I wonder what she felt when she was in her whatever age. My kids now have that. They know everything they want to know about their dad. Good Lord, take my soul. I got peace knowing that for my kids, they will know everything that they know about their father. And what's dope is that if you look at the cover of it, there's a 12-year-old boy in the stands. There's a little boy in the right corner of the book, and he's got his head in his in his lap. That's the imagery of a 12-year-old Tyler. And um, I'm, the, the book was the stamping point because I also wrote the book for me to set me free. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm selfish with it, and, and I feel like that's okay. I'm proud because I did something with the book. Um, that was ultimately, first and foremost, selfishly, it was for me. If nobody read it, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I had to do that. So that's that's really, it's, it's my journey. It's, it's my truth. Now, what's the title of the book so everybody else Yeah, the title of the book is The Ball Came Out, um, Life from the Other Side of the Field. And it's crazy. I got that thing in the mail behind me over my shoulder. I like Amazon sent me, it was on the Amazon um, bestsellers list for in the sports category. It was in mm. for like for 15 weeks. Nice. And and mind you, again, I wrote my book for me. I didn't write it for other people. I just, I, I just, it just so happened that other people fell in love with it. But I know like football is on the cover, but I, I think it's just because the, the book is life. I think you read that a young boy growing up in the South, going through life. A young boy who was 12 years old was traumatized by the killings of of James Byrd, a black man in East Texas, not far from where my family is from, who was drugged behind a truck until his death by white supremacists. Just a young kid who had night terrors from it. Um, Like things that people can relate to. I mean, I'm just I'm just giving my life and, and and I 
I don't know. I, I can't tell you why everybody else read it, but I, I think it's just stuff that people can relate to because we all go through life together. That's it, all. The people that read it that made it number one for 15 weeks, they were attached to it already. It's just that you didn't know that. Mm, that's it, real. It was, it was already an attachment to it. And what it is is that you wrote it for yourself, but it was already a testimony waiting for the people that needed to hear what you had to say. Wow. Wow, that's deep. That's deep, yo. I ain't never heard that before. That wow, yo. I I receive that. I receive that, and and I, and I want you to know that sincerely because so I struggle with receiving compliments, and I think a, a lot of that is because I, you know, um, growing up it was somebody who um, I just didn't know how to receive. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be like loved on. You know what I'm saying, and so. I really want you to know I receive that because I'm I'm to the place now where as a man, like I know how to embrace somebody taking the time out to say kind words to you. So like, thank you so very much. Absolutely. That's, that's part of my purpose. You know, I, I, you know, I use the acronym dope dedicated to other people empowerment. I use the acronym heal helping to empower amazing lives. So come on. Come on, so, you just you just bless me, so so thank you. Absolutely. Now, when it came to the title, how did you come up with it? Like, you know, did you got the title, then wrote the book, or did you wrote the book, then got the title? So I had a different title. I had a I had a different title. Um, I didn't come up with that title for the book until I was like in chapter, I want to say like chapter four. That's when I got the title. Um I have a radio show here in Austin called Real Life Real Talk. Um, so originally that was I was just gonna take that that brand that I'd already quote unquote started and just turn that over to the book. And then after writing the book, like football, it's like, man, the ball, I was looking over my journey, because sometimes you be forgetting all the stuff you've seen and done in your life. Mm-hmm. It was like the ball came out of my life so many times. Um, and it was like, you know, in sports, there's always a turnover, but you have to look at the turnover from the other side of it because somebody else is rejoicing for your mistakes or the re or the turnover in life. And so I was like, oh my gosh, the ball came out so many times, the MS, the alternative school, the, the night terrors, the, the not loving yourself, all that stuff. But yet here I am on the other side of it. So it's not like you're just going to tell people about all this bad stuff, but it's like, how did we get through it? Like there was life from it. And I was supposed to go through those things so that mm-hmm. I could help other people so that there's a life. On, and so that's it's like, it was just that aha epiphany moment. Um, and I'll never forget. I was listening to Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, Can't Knock the Hustle. And it was the last chapter of the book that I had just finished. I wrote the last sentence. And then I got up and I started cleaning and listening to Can't Knock the Hustle. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I wrote the book for me. The book was for me because in the beginning of the book, I said, I'm writing this book for a 12 year old black boy. I can't see his face, but I see him at night on the doorsteps of a home and he's crying. 
I can't see his face, but he's crying and he's some. And so I'm thinking I'm writing for, I know I have my 12 year old thing, but then I'm listening to the song. I'm cleaning and I'm daydreaming and the 12 year old boy moves his hands and it's my face. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's that aha moment. Yeah, that's, that's the, book. the book. That's the book. Absolutely. Now, when did you release the book? Um, I released it. So uh loved it, loved it for Black History Month. So I, I wanted it for February the fourth. Um, February fourth was my release date of this year, twenty twenty two. Nice. Twenty twenty two, February. All right. Yeah. And I seen that you were on the news as you did your book signing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um I just I became, by this time, again, I had learned to embrace and be proud of what I had done. And so I just started calling news stations and being like, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing a book signing. Like, it's on the weekend. Like, um, hey, ain't no sports going on in, in Austin, Texas. Like, y'all need a story? Because. Hey, come, you know, I, so I just started calling people and they, they were kind enough to be like, yeah, hey, we need content. It would, it's helpful. Like, and, and so it's just books open doors and you know this. And I think that that is what I have learned throughout this process is that books open doors. Yeah, and that's the places that you never thought you would be in. Say that. They open doors. That's how that, and that's that's what I, that's the aha moment I had at that phone call. Oh my gosh, books open doors. See that? Look, that's a whole nother book. That, <laughs> see, I got my fear. I can't prepare because I already knew you was gonna say so. <laughs> so, tell me. What is your plan for your book now that it's out? Yeah. You know, you're doing your book signings. What else what else do you have prepared for this? Do you have any uh, you know, what else you got going on? Yeah, so again, books opening doors. And so I think for me, I, the so this and you know, I think you know this as an author, you can you can relate. I, the writing the book was not the hardest part. Once I set my once I got myself right, okay? Though I feel like the real work is the aftermath of the book that I mean, if I had any advice to, to somebody willing to author, it's like you got to keep pushing the book. And the beautiful thing about the book is the book doesn't go out of style. So next year I'm, I'm going to be pushing the book more willingly and the year after that and the year after that, I'm, I'm going to be pushing books. And so for me, my books travel with speaking engagements. For me, it's like, OK, I've learned that certain people don't have funds for a speaker but they'll have funds for a book. So it's like my book travels. Okay, you don't have to speak. Cool. What about the books? It's like I got another go-to. So any any engagement, um, any 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 place of where where I am uh seeking engagements where I've gotten denied before, I figured out there's other areas where the funds were for this educational book. There's funds for that in the companies, which I wasn't allotted to before. So it's that and, and it's it's um it's taking me places and meeting different people where now I'm coming book first. I pop up at the barbershop, sell books. I pop up at the bookstore to sell books. And that same method of contacting a local news station, why couldn't I do that in San Antonio? 
Why can't I get out of my realm of Central Texas and go to East Texas? So it's like I, I pick different pockets where most people wouldn't come to town to do a book signing, even in the country. I have people in the country, too. Let me go where they are. So it's like I call bookstores, call radio shows, call news stations, call anybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable because I'm I'm proud of what I've done. I want to share what I've done with the rest. I'm proud of that. And so I don't know if other people write books and they might not have that same level. I don't know. I've only written one. So I don't, I just know with this one, I'm proud. So I pick up the phone and the sky's the limit for the places that I want to call or where I want to drive. Like I said, the barbershops, the bookstores, anywhere and everywhere. And just say, hey, I got a table. I got a folding chair and I got the books. I, I don't need much from you. I just need a space. Can I get a space? And so for now, it's, I'm book hustling. <laughs> I'm book hustling because I, I got to push. Out of the driveway. So, yeah. Yep, right in the drive-through. Listen, anywhere and everywhere. It's mine. I'm proud of it. And you know you can also create workshops. Yes. I didn't. I didn't think. Here's what I didn't think about. I didn't. I never thought that I could tell somebody how to write a book. But you can, because you did. But I, but I can. And you know, somebody at my book signing told me how to tell me that. Because I still hadn't thought of myself like that. Right. I, I, I still had not, not their fault. Not right. Again, I am a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. It, it's I'm something a con- I'm, you have to get, uh, how you say, comfortable saying, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm an author and I can teach somebody else how to do it. Yeah, and still walking. And st- mm-hmm. I just never thought about that. All my notes, all the the stuff I've learned, the the trial, the error, the publishing. All <laughs> mm-hmm. you can do a whole class <laughs> just so you don't make the same mistakes. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, know, man. And, and being able to guide people to their yeah. next level. Yeah, and I think like for me, I, I was because I was in um you know shout out to to Eric Thomas uh, Game Changers program. Um, Eric Thomas is one of the um, top inspirational speakers in the world, right? And when I was doing speaking, I said I want to, I want to like, I need to take a year to like learn from the best who are doing what they're doing. And I think that was an athlete in me. And in that program, I learned about um, books for athletes. Who ended up, um, I ended up selling with my uh, publish pub, as my publisher, and. Um, just a lot of a lot of things, bro. I had to go back to the drawing board and and even with speaking. And, and I think that was the reward by coming into the program was meeting and networking and dumbing myself down and going back to the beginning and reshaping my messages, like going back, like, bro, you don't know nothing. Yeah, you can speak. You don't know nothing. And learning and then networking. And that finally that finally got me comfortable with with everything publishing wise and having your own rights to your book and not like owning all your stuff like shout out to nipsey hustle like i want to own all my stuff (laughs) you know that's powerful um that's powerful for us as people so yeah absolutely so what is next what events do you have coming up what do you have going on any speaking engagements what's what's going on hey every saturday I have my radio show. Matter of fact, it's 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 I'm 748 here in Texas. 
I have to go pre-record my radio show tonight in the studio um, at our network. I got to go do that. So every Saturday, I am delivering. I'm on. A, I'm on a sports radio network, um, but I'm blessed to have the number one show on Saturday, and my show has nothing to do with sports. Nothing. It's just inspirational, and people. Um, it's my way of practice to keep sharpening my gift because I never give the same message twice. So can I keep letting life make me like I have to be accountable for the gift. So every Saturday uh, I, uh, I give I give my messages three principles, have a message, three principles, different segments, you know, our show. So that's every Saturday and I do it for free. Nice. Nobody pays me a dime. I do it because I love speaking so much. So um, I do that. That's there every Saturday. I have what my new, um, I started an initiative in my life, books travel, right? Um, so I started an initiative called Educate, Elevate, Collaborate. Um, I have a part of a, a, a powerful uh, foundation called Pro Player Foundation. I started working with them when I was in college. Um, and we, we do things around MS. So my thing has been education. And I know this is powerful for you for what you what you go through. Um, we have uh, an initiative called Educate, Elevate, Collaborate, where our focus is on the underserved multiple sclerosis communities as well, specifically the black and Latino population, because MS is hitting us hard and we don't have enough awareness. We don't the navigating the healthcare system. We don't we don't have we're behind Mm-hmm. And we suffer and it takes as black men, it takes our bodies the fastest and they can't figure out why. Right. They can't figure out why we get to the wheelchair faster. They can't figure out why our symptoms are so powerful. So I have to I have to come to our community. And so it's it's the free educational panels. I have one coming up October the 13th in Houston, Texas. I've been doing them in Austin. Remember, I told you you got to travel mm-hmm. yeah. doing one in Houston. Guess what's going to come after the one in Houston? I'm coming back to Houston again for a book signing. Half price books. So I'm coming. It's it's um, these educational panels free to the community. Um, that's my charge. That's the mission. Um, I love speaking. I'm an inspirational speaking. It pays bills. But I also have a heart for my people and I also have a heart for the community. Um, so these taking these panels on the road is what I am extremely, extremely, extremely excited about. Um, so I think for the month of October panels, all right, educational panels, my, my book sign, uh, my, uh, my, my radio show, that'll be every Saturday. And then also, I believe I have, I have a couple keynotes in there somewhere, but I can't tell you where those are the things I'm most passionate about though. The ones that, that ain't paying me nothing right. um, are the ones that I'm, if you want to know where my heart is, that's, that's the stuff that I'm most excited about. Now, can you tell us? through this whole because you said you've been speaking for 10 years right yeah so during this process of speaking what do you feel was your biggest moment during your career so far oh man and it's i know it's many no no um mine was small i think my so i and and i've been in front of in front of i think my, my first ever engagement was was over 750 people in the room for a conference right so that was my my very first like engagement um for the national multiple sclerosis society and i think my most powerful moment probably came this year um 
having the chance to like speak to Montel Williams and do a podcast with him. Like I told people like earlier in, like he was the only story I found when I was 21 because he got diagnosed and came out with it when he was in 1997 or 98, right? That was the story I found. And I told him on the podcast that I, I thank you. Um, I'd always wanted to meet you, but it wasn't until four months before that that I started speaking into existence. I started telling people I want to meet Montel Williams. I started saying, hey, I want my, I want to meet, how can I meet Montel Williams? And the good Lord saw it see fit that after I spoke it, because sometimes we got to speak some things into existence and believe in that. And I firmly do. And I finally met him and, and he had been going through some neck exacerbations for MS that Mm -hmm. when I told him that your smile gave me the belief that I can, the belief that my disease wouldn't be a death sentence. And because of that, that's what led me to researching for those groups. It prepared me to be able to have a wife, overcome so much. And I just want to tell you, thank you. And you, you never met me a day in my life. We never talked. And that's the impact you had on my life. And he cried. Mm. And I got it on film. Mm. He cried. And I, and I have it injected in a social media post that I'm going to do one day, but I'm just so happy I got to keep it to myself. But Montel Williams crying because he said, you never know whose life you're impacting just by trying to live your best. And um, and I will treasure it. That's not a crowd pleasing moment. It was only three people on the on the, you know, on the interview. And but for me. Knowing that that was that was everything, knowing that was the only black male I knew um, when I was diagnosed to finally meet him and just to say thank you and to see the reaction it got. That was, that was everything for me. So tell the people how to contact you, how to connect with you, how to network with you, how to get you for speaking engagements and all those great things that you do. First off, you got to continue to support the woman behind the mask. You got to support, you got to support my lady Shayna, man. She got it going on. And I love you because you got my wife's name too. So I already knew this was gonna be dope. But um, I'm on all social media platforms. I'm I'm at TC Speaks Thirty Two. Um, my website is IamTylerCampbell.com, and uh, my email is is Tyler at TCSpeaks.com. But you can you can find that on on everything. There's, there's stuff on YouTube. There's there's stuff everywhere. If you you want me, you can find me. And uh, the book, I, I keep everything on Amazon. And so it's there. If you want the book, the ball came out like from the other side of the field. It's on Amazon. But in all terms of the inquiries and everything else, y'all holler at me. I ain't so big time. I ain't got no secretary working for me. So I'll respond. And Shayna know that because I responded directly back to her. So so we solid. Um, But I'm I'm thankful. This is a, a, a privilege, bro. This is amazing. It's been an honor. But before we go, give the people something to motivate them because, you know, you are a motivation speaker. So we may as well put you first. So motivate the people, please. Listen, I so and I'm different. So I classify myself as an inspirational speaker because motivation requires an exterior. That means you're constantly depending on an outside source to get you to your destination. 
So my only thing as an inspirational speaker, all I'm doing when I speak to you is giving you an aha moment for yourself that causes you to look from within. Because when you become inspired, a person who is inspired is dangerous because you have a fire that never goes out because that fire comes from you and your story and what it is that you've been through. So I am an inspirational speaker. And when I look at my people, when I look at my history, I had to cling to hope. And that's what I want to encourage people to do today is cling to hope because hope builds determination. Determination is what leads to a positive attitude. And with a positive attitude, there is no limit to your altitude as a human being. As a black male within this country, my people have always had hope. And guess what? Hope is free. So as long as you are hopeful, those doors will come open for you. Just don't forget to do the work along the way. And the work comes from within. It doesn't come from anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stay committed and cling to hope. That's my word. I hope y'all got that inspiration and y'all take it with y'all during the week. As always, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on the Power in Your Voice where we inspire, motivate, and, you know, teach people how to use their voice because words have power. And, they do. and that's why I call it the Power in Your Voice. I have been your host, Sheena, the lady behind the mask. As always, I thank you for tuning in. And I thank you, Tyler, for coming through and blessing us with all those gems all those good messages and all the informational things about MS. Cause it's a lot of things people still don't know about autoimmune diseases, especially in our community. So please make sure y'all pay attention, share with a friend. Somebody might need this message. I thank y'all and y'all have a great night. Introducing to some and reintroducing to others speaker, entrepreneur, motivational coach, and author, Sheena Gadon. If you wish to contact her, you can contact her via email at sgadon16 at gmail.com or you can visit her website, www.